0: That means that this is what God is doing. This is
1: what is occupying God's hours. You know, and, and by the way, there's no such thing as waking hours with God because the Bible says in Psalm 121.3, Psalm 121.3, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Though so the brothers had to sleep. But, but and, and, and so that's a time when at least they couldn't be planning and plotting Joseph's destruction while they were asleep. But God has the advantage over the brothers because he doesn't sleep. He never gets tired, and so he never stops continuing to plan and to plot to save people around the clock, which is what God is doing, and he says that in Jeremiah 29.11, Jeremiah 29.11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, so this last part of verse 20 where Joseph says to save much people alive, that shows us what God is interested in. It shows that God is interested in saving people from their sins. He's interested in saving people from being cast into hell. That means when you and I set our interest in people being saved and not being cast into hell, then we're interested in the same thing God's interested in. And that means when you and I give our efforts to seeing people be saved from being cast into hell, then we're on the same page as God. We're on the same page as God. Now, that doesn't mean we're not gonna run into a lot of opposition and trouble. We may run into a lot of, we will run into a lot of opposition from the devil. But I'd rather have the the opposition from Satan and be on the same page as God and working together with God, rather than to not have the opposition of the devil and not be on the same page as God and not be working together with God. We face a lot of opposition, uh, let me tell you, especially when it comes to bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. Uh, I, I've oftentimes thought it'd be, the Muslims would be easier. But God's heart is seen toward the Jewish people. This is his page in Psalm 137.5, Psalm 137.5. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. In Isaiah 62, one, Isaiah 62.1, for Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And then he says, he's so interested in this, God says that he's, he's assigned others, he says in, in Isaiah two six, Isaiah 62.6, two six. 62, 6 I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So, if you want to ask the question, what is, what is it that keeps God up at night, but he doesn't go to sleep? So, what is it that God has no peace about? What is it that's disturbing to God? What is it that, that gives God unrest? He said. He said. Until, until the Jewish people are saved. He will not. He says. And, and he's asking others to don't let him rest. Don't let him have peace. He says, give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a place in the earth. This is what he's saying here. He said, I will not hold my peace. I will not rest. God says in Isaiah 62 1 until the righteousness thereof go forth, there's brightness for Zion's sake and salvation, okay. Now, there's a very difficult passage, a very difficult passage in Romans 11 to understand. And, 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 and our summer blitzers really struggled with this the year before last, I mean last year. And, and, and it's, it's Romans 11, 11. Romans 11, 11, 11, 11 says this. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentile, how much more their fullness. So like, like I said, last year uh, the summer blitzers were kind of saying, oh, I see, God, God caused them to fall so that salvation can come to us. Well, that was good of God to cause them to fall. Now, And on the surface it looks like that. On the surface, Romans eleven eleven looks like you could say, okay, on the surface it looks like God made Israel to fall away from God so that the Gentiles could come. To God. I mean, that would be, uh, ascribing something to God, which is actually evil, an evil intention to God. It would be a wrong view of the so-called sovereignty of God. Not that there's any wrong views anyway. So how are we to understand this? Romans eleven eleven: Through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, the way you understand it is verse 20 in our passage here, Genesis 50, verse 20, where, because this gives us the understanding of through their through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Because when it says in verse 20, Genesis 50, verse 20, when it says, but as for you, you thought evil against me as it is, but God meant it unto good to break to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. We have to think about that. All right, so here are the brothers. They thought evil against Joseph. They wanted to kill him. and And, and they were constantly plotting and planning, looking for their opportunity the, the, to, to, until the finally of the day come when they said, this dreamer cometh, okay. Now, did God cause the brothers to envy and hate Joseph? Not at all. That was 100% the responsibility of the brothers, and God had nothing to do with their decision to hate Joseph. God had nothing to do with the brothers' decision to want to murder Joseph, and, and and the brothers were really cursing Joseph. They were cursing Joseph. Now, that curse uh, uh, of the brothers is what Joseph described when he said, But as for you, you thought evil against me. Now, but what did, what, but what God did was that he took the brothers' curse against Joseph and he turned it into a blessing. By causing the brothers' decision to sell Joseph as a slave, that that, that that would result in the final outcome in verse 19, Genesis 50, verse 19, of to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So that was God taking the curse and turning it into a blessing. And that's what God is in the business of doing. He is in the business of taking a curse and turning it into a blessing, which can be seen in the history of Balaam and Israel. You know, Balaam was like a witch doctor for the Moabites, and Balak, Balak, was the king of the Moabites. So Balak wanted to see Israel cursed in Numbers 22, 11. Numbers twenty two eleven, he said, Balak the king said to Balaam, the witch doctor, behold there is a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. So Balak offered to Balaam a great promotion, big reward if he would curse Israel. He said that in Numbers 22, 17. Numbers 22, 17. I will promote thee unto very great honor. I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. Now, did God cause Balak to want to curse Israel? No, God did not cause Balak to want to curse Israel. God had nothing to do with Balak's decision. The decision to curse Israel was 100% the responsibility of Balak and God had nothing to do with that decision. So anyway, Balaam decides to go and meet with the with the king, Balak, and, and 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 tell him, okay, I agree to come and I'll take the job to curse Israel. But what God did in response to the evil decision to curse Israel was he stood in the path of Balaam and, and his donkey, what he was riding on, when Balaam was going to meet Balak, and God stood in the path of the Balaam's donkey with a sword drawn, and he blocked the path. And there's a lot of drama in that, and the, it, because then the donkey moves to the side and, and to avoid God with the sword, and then and, and God moves to the side with the sword and, 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 until finally the, the donkey just drops to the ground. And that made Balaam, who couldn't see the Lord with the sword, made him really angry, and it says in in, in Numbers twenty two twenty two Numbers twenty two twenty two God's anger was kindled again kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field and Balaam smote the ass and turned her into the way but the angel of the lord stood in a path in the vineyards a wall being on this side and a wall on that side and when the ass saw the angel of the lord he thrust himself into the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall and he smote her again and the angel of the lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left and when the ass saw the angel of the lord she fell down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled and he smote the, the ass with a staff. And so there's a lot of drama there. The drama increases. If that wasn't enough drama, more drama comes when God causes the donkey to speak. And Balaam has a conversation with his donkey of everything. It's amazing. In, in Numbers 22 28, Numbers 22 28, the Lord opened the mouth of the ass and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would that there were a sword in mine hand, for now I would kill thee. And the asked said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? He said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times, Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I would have slain thee and saved her alive. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I know that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease thee, I'll get me back. The angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, thou shall speak. So Balaam went with the prince of Balaam. So then when it came time for Balaam to curse Israel, these are the words that God put into Balaam's mouth, in Numbers three seven, Numbers twenty three seven, he took up this parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Amram, Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? How shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? and the number of the fourth part of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. So that was just the opposite of what Balak wanted Balaam to do. Balak responded to Balaam by saying in Numbers 23.11, Numbers 23.11, Balak said unto Balaam, What hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies, and behold, thou hast blessed them all together. Now what God did there is that he saw, he, was, he saw Balak and Balaam, and he saw they're, they're going to curse Israel. And, that's, and what he did there is described in a commentary about this whole history in Deuteronomy 23.5. Deuteronomy 23.5 says, Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loveth thee. Loved thee. So God then turned the curse of Balaam into, Into a blessing. And this whole process, you know, with with God and the donkey and all the drama, and it was, and causing Balaam to only say the words that God told him to say, that was God in the process of turning the curse into a blessing. And that's what God's in the business of doing. He's in the business of taking the curse of man. Well, very surprised in the business of monitoring man, identifying the curse, and turning the curse of man and turning it into a blessing of God. God turns a curse into a blessing. And this is what God did in the fall of man. God took the curse, man's sin, fall, being worthy of death and hell, and he turned it into a, a blessing. God took the curse of the fall of man, the fall of man, and as we said, into curse and death and so forth, and through the cross, He turned it into a blessing of saving man and making man in a position much greater than he was before the fall, of adopting him, making him a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God, filling man forever with the Holy Spirit. The cross is the ultimate turning the curse into a blessing. And that whole process of God turning the curse into the curse of wanting to get rid of Joseph into the blessing of saving much people alive is all, that whole process of God turning the curse into a blessing is described in verse 19, Genesis 50, verse 19, when Joseph said, God meant it unto good. God turning the curse into a blessing is described in verse in that verse 19, as God meant it unto good. Now, the verse, God meant it unto good when he turned the curse of Joseph's, brothers into the blessing of saving a bunch of people alive. That's the explanation for Romans 11.11. 11. Romans 11.11, 11, when it says, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. The Jewish people had fallen by cursing the Lord Jesus Christ, just as the, Jew, the Joseph brothers had fallen by cursing Joseph. And because of that, the Jewish people refused to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their God, as their Savior, and they put up this big wall between them and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the disciples encountered that wall, it says what they did in Acts Acts 13.46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And that's the history of how the salvation of God came to the Gentiles, of which we see today. It was because of this. So salvation came to the Gentiles when God turned the curse of the Jewish people against the Lord Jesus into a blessing by saving the Gentiles. And in the same way, when God turned the curse of the brothers of Joseph uh, by, by thinking evil against him into a blessing by saving Egypt and saving much people alive. And this is what God does. He's constantly, God is constantly monitoring man. He's constantly seeing the curses of man and he's constantly turning those curses into blessing. And this is what Joseph was focused on in verse 20, how God turned the curse into a blessing. But as for you... You thought evil against me, that was the curse, but God meant it unto good, just bring to pass as it is day, as it is this day to save much people alive. That was turning the curse into blessing. So for us to see in life how God is at work and he's turning curses into blessing, that's what brings us joy in life. That's what brings us fulfillment. But you and I are never gonna see that unless we become like Joseph and we lose all bitterness by seeing how we were hurt and how our sorrows were the result from other people did to us Instead of all that, focusing on the good that God brought out of our hurt, out of our sorrows, and that's what Joseph did. He lost all his bitterness from seeing how he was hurt and the sorrow for his brothers caused him, and instead he focused on all the good that God did out of his hurt and out of his sorrow. So Joseph saw how, for example, because of what they did, he saw clearly how he was personally advanced to become the ruler over Egypt, when God turned the curse into a blessing. He saw how thousands and thousands of Egyptians were saved from perishing, when God turned the curse into a blessing. He saw how his own family, the Jewish people, were brought into Egypt to start to develop into a great people, when God turned the curse into a blessing. And now, from heaven, he sees how he became a type of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, despised and rejected, who became the savior of the world, all when God turned the curse into a blessing. So in verse 20, Joseph is focusing on God turning the curse into a blessing and we can see that in that that Joseph is marveling at the wisdom of how God does that. Now, we take one step back and we look at this whole response that Joseph gave to his brothers after he wept, which is verse 19, 21. He says to them, fear not, am I in the place of God? As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, save much people alive. Now therefore fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And says now he comforted them and spake kindness to them. First of all, he opens his heart to them. In verse 19, he says, I'm not in God's place. I'm not gonna be your judge. Second, he opens his heart to them. In verse 20, he says, uh, uh, he tells them God turned the curse into a blessing. And third, he opens his heart to them, tells in verse 21 they shouldn't fear because he's going to nourish them and their children. And all of this talk that he's just given in these verses 19 to 21 are described in, in the end of verse 21 as he comforted them and spake kindly to them. Now in the Hebrew, this last phrase, he spake kindly to them, is translated, he spake, he, he spake kindly to them. It really reads libam, so lev is heart and, uh, to them. So it really means... He spoke to the heart of them. And a better translation would have been, he spoke to the heart of them. But they didn't ask me, they never asked me, so what am I just gonna do? And the only, it's interesting, of all the English translations that I looked at, there's only one that gave the correct translation here, it's the Amplified. They, all the other ones, they need to speak kindly. They didn't get the heart part. But it's interesting that, the German translation, the French translation, the Spanish translation, the Italian translations—they all got it right. They all got it accurate, and they said that Joseph spoke to the heart of his brothers. So, verse twenty-one is Joseph comforting his brothers by speaking to their hearts, and he's—and he, and that's how he's comforting them. And when we see Joseph doing that, he comforts them by speaking to the heart. That's a challenge for us. That's a challenge for us to become heart speakers. All right to speak to the heart of people. Now we say, well, what does it take to be a heart speaker? Well, the first requirement of becoming a heart speaker is to become a heart listener. You gotta listen to the heart. We have to see ourselves like the doctor with the stethoscope. And he comes in and he listens to the heart of the patient. And when the doctor uses the stethoscope, like me, who never stops talking, he says, stop talking now so I can hear your heart. So in the same way, if our if our if our lives are filled with other voices of our concerns and our cares and our what we're preoccupied with then we're going to be like the doctor trying to hear the 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 heart when there's a lot of distracting noise going on we have to put all that noise away so we can focus and listen to the, to what the person is saying now when the doctor puts a stethoscope on there he may hear a lot of other noises he may hear the grumbling of the stomach because what he ate or didn't eat and he's got to say to himself as he's lifting his desk up, he says, that's not what I'm trying to hear. And, and he's got to tune his ear to hear the heart. So when we become a heart listener, in order, in order so we can be a heart speaker, when we become a heart listener, we got to listen to what the person is saying and look for the voice of his heart in his words, which of course Joseph did when he saw all this fear, and disregard all the other talk that's coming from, from coming. And then after we've heard, after we've been a heart listener, and we've heard the person's heart, the next requirement for us to be a heart speaker is we've got to to ask God, we've got to rely on God to show us what we should say, to speak to the hearts. All right? May God turn us into heart speakers like Joseph was in verse 21. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the life of Joseph and for all the trouble you took to write it down for us so we can see and understand. We pray that we might... Lord, follow him When, inasmuch as he was a follower of
0: God. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration only $99 includes a 2-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cancer, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619 619- 599-1104 1104 or sign up at ReachIsrael.com That's ReachIsrael.com What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30pm at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California.